thanks for doing this. I, I also appreciate um your review. You did an awesome write-up and, and said some kind things. So thanks for that. Oh, you're welcome. Well, uh, you know, I've been a longtime supporter of indie films, and I'm a huge sci-fi fan. Uh, I pulled out my last uh, Starfighter vinyl uh, for the backdrop. Here. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I you're see... Lucky. Huh? That shelf space. You're lucky you have that shelf space. I I'm this. I love physical media. It's the only thing I watch. But sure. I have this ad. Um, the thing that makes every collector cringe. Mm-hmm. I have, except for my my favorite, like hundred. All of them are in binders. I just don't have the space. Yeah. Well, I only have the space because uh, my wife, uh, family video closed in town. And so they were giving away, like, if you came and picked them up, you could have a shelf. So awesome. this is an actual family video shelf awesome. that I rescued. Uh, she said I could have one. Just one. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, they're free, though. We've got a truck. She's like, you can have one. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So, yeah, I, I saved a little piece of history. And bought a couple of the signs too, like a, a classics for a dollar rental signs that they had in the awesome. movies. One there is is as well. But yeah, I love <laughs> I love my physical media. In fact, I have a couple of your films uh, that you've been in. Oh, uh, where you you know uh, uh, on physical media, I've got uh, what do I got here? I've got a uh, Moon of the Blood Beast. I got over here. I've got uh, Xanadu Hellfire. Oh, that one's a good one. Uh, you know, I, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which That's I saw your, I, I looked at your acting reel, and I will tell you, you know, some people will be like, oh, I got to meet so-and-so. I got, I'm like, were you really ahead of Ghidorah or Ghidorah? I sure was. Oh, my. <laughs> this That's... has made me more excited. That's, oh, yeah, I love the poster. I've got the, um, I got the... Mike signed it. And, oh, um, nice. He gave us cool. Everyone who was involved, he gave us that. And then also a leather bound notebook with, um, it's like, um, it's not embroidered, but whatever sure. you know, like has like stamped into it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the Monarch logo. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then he wrote a nice message. Thanks for bringing our monster to life. So he was very gracious. Man, I, when I saw that on your acting reel, I was like, no way because i'm a huge kaiju guy uh i've got actually king of the monsters on vinyl as well i end up collecting vinyl uh it's a good soundtrack well i and it's funny because looking at your filmography uh you know alien planet you chose to direct and i was i was floored by the amount of prosthetic work that you had in this film for an indie project because i've been covering indie for a long time and i know how not only complicated but budget straining something like that could be (laughs) so i was impressed by that and then looking at your body of work i'm like you know what i've been admiring the work of this guy for years and i didn't even know it didn't even know it he was the mouth for the ginger dead man for evil bog five six 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 seven seven ten eight 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 i watched all of those blood sucker jones versus the creepy death you were in that you know you did the voice for genevieve i've seen that xanadu hellfire i'm like i've seen wow. lots of this <laughs> you know? yeah wow <laughs> i've i've covered all of those films in one way shape or form even thanks killing three which mad props for 
doing Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thank you. Actually, I just spoke to those guys. Um, they they were the first monster suit I was in in a movie. Really, really. Um, because uh, Jordan played Muff, which is like the right the alien mm-hmm. thing. I don't know what it's supposed to be. But I filled in for him for a day. He said I could fill in because I was actually there in South Dakota with them editing. Um, I was kind of doing onset editing, doing an assemble cut for him. And I got in the suit and did it for him. And that was actually my first um, in a suit for a film. Wow. Uh, well, that's definitely an interesting one to to cut your teeth on for <laughs> for suit work. Uh, you know, and so I've been I, I apparently I've been following your work for years and I did. I didn't even know it. So we well, come to, you know, you come to Alien Planet here. Uh, so what made you want to direct? Well, I've always wanted to, I think in a way. Um, when I first moved to Los Angeles, when I came out of college, that was kind of what I said I wanted to do. But I mean, that's so, so calm. Every stupid college kid says that's what they want to do. Like sure. every Every dumbass 20-year-old wants to be a writer-director. Um, and I said it, too. I was one of those dumbass 20-somethings. Um, but but then I started getting my foot in the ground for, like, post-production and editing because um, L.A. is, you know, it's a very expensive place to live. So you have to get your foot on the ground and established in order to, you know, have income coming in. So I was going down that path for a very long time. And... I started getting into creature performance and doing that. And so my my jobs, my paths were editing and uh, creature performance. And I never really looked at writing and directing again for a long time until just a certain point where I was like, I was getting the bug. I was like, you know what? Yeah, I want to I want to do it. I have some stories I want to tell. And I think uh, I think it's time. And so after being established in the industry for a while, I kind of just I just did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that way you had some connections too. I, I imagine, you know, for for resources and and you have some friends, especially uh, that you develop relationships over the years that I'm sure that you could call on. And you know, even even in my circle, I'm in the middle of Wisconsin, so I'm probably as far away from anything Hollywood known to man, <laughs> right? Uh, but if you meet someone and you go, "Hey, I'm thinking of making a movie. You want to?" help work out with it usually people will be like oh yeah sure yeah in la it's a little bit harder because it's our jobs like right right it, it isn't a let me help you out for fun it's no. you know it's their bills and so right. it's more of a a job and an offer and you have to negotiate rates and time and schedule um i think when you do go to places like wisconsin and i grew up in michigan so i get oh, it okay um people are excited because it's not there there's not a lot of filmmaking you do say it anyone will help but here it's definitely it's 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 a job um i think it has a different mentality for a good reason because i mean we have bills (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that's where i was going with that it's like here you know you do that there sure you can but it's like well what's the pay and let me look at my schedule and well you know i got this thing with cameron where I got to be an alien on a blue planet for like a year. So maybe next year I could do it. <laughs> but there's also, there's also favor stuff, you know, alien planet was a favor movie while I paid mm. everything. It wasn't, you know, union rates. Mm-hmm. It was an independent film with a low budget. And so everyone who worked on it 
was a friend and was gracious enough to work for in a lot lower rate than what any of us would normally work for. So I'm very grateful for the entire cast and crew because I think everyone also believed in the project and they saw how exciting and fun it was going to be. And it, and it was, I mean, everyone was just amazing and, and we just had such a fun time during our, our month of filming. And that fun comes across uh, the, uh, on the film. I mean, everybody's into it. I didn't feel like anyone was, was, uh, say cashing it in so to speak or just going through the motions everybody seemed to be into these parts but i imagine part of that is the makeup work now uh i imagine that was probably the most of your budget but uh you know where did you come up with the designs for the creatures and you know how how did you go about getting the resources because you have you have prosthetic effects throughout this entire film yeah so um, it was. It was probably about half the budget of the movie mm -hmm. went into the makeup and puppets and the monster suit and all the practical effects. So half the budget was gone just during pre-production. Sure. Um, coming up with the design was um, it was multiple steps. So mm -hmm. these characters were kind of things that I conceived. And what I did initially was I I drew out what I wanted them to look like. But I'm mm -hmm. not an artist. So they looked like a <laughs> Um, then I took screen grabs from other characters from other movies, like here's the texture I wanted from this, the color I want from this, the eyes, the lips, and I kind of built a character breakdown for each character where it had my hand-drawn thing and then reference photos from a bunch of different movies. Um, then the next step was I took that to an artist, um, Aiden Casserly. He actually did the concept poster for my Indiegogo campaign. And he looked at what I drew up. And I even drew the post that he created. I drew my version of it first. And it, again, looked like a five-year-old did it. And then I sent him some reference posters. I sent him um, the original Battle for the Planet of the Apes poster. And then um, one of the images from the Topps dinosaur cards that we had as a kid. You know, the really blood ones. And I was like, this is the, what I'm going for. Here's the image I want and here's a breakdown of the characters so he took it and he drew it masterfully like such so well like masterfully and and um it looked amazing so then i added that to my concept art it added it to my my character decks once we were funded then i took those to the artists so there were um three different sculptors for the film there was illusion industries which is Todd Tucker and Martin Astles, they did the aliens prosthetics, Locke, Cack, Brochit, Delitch, um, Kat, uh, all, all the face and cowls for that. Then I had Tom Devlin do the Guyri puppet and the Dweller suit. Um, and I had Scotty Fields do all the plants. So they all got my breakdown of what I wanted and the references and the artist um, drawings that made it better. And they took it to the next step. They sculpted it. They made it, uh, they upped the ante even more. And it just each step we added to it. Um, and there was multiple processes like the, for example, the prosthetics for the main characters were um, Todd, the owner of Illusion Industries, he would call me and send me pictures and we'd FaceTime. And if we had any adjustments or things that I, I liked or didn't like, we would tweak it. Um, they were the most important 
for this movie. So we wanted them to be right. Um, once all of those were done, they had to go to foam fabrication. So they went to another company, uh, Tim Phoenix. He he pulled all the foam. We had 55 prosthetics because wow. you can't reuse that. So you have to have a new one for every shoot day and a new one for every character. So we had 55 prosthetics. Then after that, um, Alexis Payanessa, who was our lead painter and on-set makeup department head, she pre-painted all of them. And we went through the process of the same thing. She would send me photos. Mm -hmm. I would call her. We'd talk about it. We would add more layers, add different colors, tweak it until we were happy. Um, and she did this for all of them. So she probably worked on it for, honestly, it was, she was probably painting for maybe five months before we shot. Wow. Because we didn't have time on set. Right. You know, with the low budget that we had, we only had... 12 principal shooting days there's 12 there's 14 days total but 12 were actual principal photography and when you do that painting on set the whole prosthetic would eat up eight hours of the day so we mm -hmm. couldn't do it. so um props to her she she did all all of those and they looked amazing and it was just it was just a, a wonderful process because it felt like such a team effort to bring this vision to life. And um, I'm, I was very happy with how they looked. And then when we got on set, um, I had uh, four or five makeup artists. I had uh, Alexis, um, Ashley, Shayna, Oliver, and Anna. And they were all applying and painting the scenes and doing the touch-ups and stuff every day. Uh, so it was a huge process. It was probably the biggest aspect for the film was the makeup. <laughs> Well, that, that that I mean, but that's the feature front and center is the fact you're doing a a genuine, a, you know, alien project to where there's pretty much no human looking thing anywhere, you know. Yeah. So, so so you've got where you know sub sub movies have all digital effects in every single scene. You have prosthetics or practical effects in every scene, uh, and it it. It, you pull and the fact that you pulled it off in that short of a time is very impressive for not only you but your crew as well that you guys were all able to come together and do something like this on this scope you know i don't think i don't think people might think of they're like oh well, you only have so many characters i'm like yeah but like you said you've got 14 days you can't reuse the masks you got to shoot the mask which i imagine probably made for some long shoot days because how long did it take to get the makeup on them uh, we scheduled about three hours to get in and two hours to get out. So about half our day, because we we shot, I don't think we ever went, you know, a, sta a standard shoot day for film is usually 12. I don't think we ever went more than 11. It was, we did 10 hours fairly consistently. If there was a heavy day, we went 11. If, if we did a 12 hour, it was maybe once, but I don't think we even did, um, I was pretty adamant about that because, you know, what the rates were for everybody. Mm. And also, I personally think uh, the film industry should be eight hour days like every other job <laughs> in the entire country. Um, so I'm trying to stick mm -hmm. to my own preferences for that. Um, so we had f fairly easy shoot days. They, they were not crazy. Um, and half the days were getting in and out of makeup. Sure. But it was also good because while the actors were getting into makeup, 
it gave time for camera and myself to uh, figure out our shots and the lighting and that stuff and, and make sure that we had it ready. Yeah. Uh, and, and your scenes pull off very well and you've got some elaborate scenes in here, uh, especially our opening scenes when we're introduced to our uh, main alien character, uh, Locke. Uh, <laughs> she has kind of the traumatic uh, event in the beginning and there's, there's effects and things involved. And, you know, uh, I, I appreciate it being an old guy. Well, I say old, I'm, you know, I grew up with 80s sci-fi and watching this, it felt like one of those 80s sci-fi films in a good way. Uh, you know, enemy mine, you know, last starfighter and that where, uh, the makeup though they had it probably easier than you because you're shooting high def so you got to cover up your seams a lot easier uh, a lot harder a lot more than say they did back then right right and they also had a giant budget <laughs> well yeah there's that too uh they had a bigger budget but still i mean they were shooting on film so you could kind of cover up some of the maybe the the imperfections whereas on hd everything shows up it's... um you know, and so I loved, I loved the Locke character and and how, how she really had far more of a temperamental uh, attitude to her than Broshi. I, I, the, the 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 dynamic between these two were great. Uh, uh between Alexander and Hunter, uh, did they have a chance to you know kind of run through things before you did the actual principal shooting? Were they able to meet and because everybody seemed to have a really good. Uh, chemistry with each other and, and work with each other well in this yeah so we did do a table read and um and we had many conversations um between myself and hunter and alexandra about the characters and inspirations and in their how their their vibe is but really the credit is 100 percent to those two they're both just fantastic actors so um i mean that's why it comes off so good is because they're both just rock solid <laughs> and uh how did you find your dweller i mean you're used to being the guy in the suit and you had to find a guy in the suit so how did how did you go about finding a guy in the suit that you're like well maybe i could just do it uh well, um my buddy eric he is someone who i've worked with a couple of times previously but i don't think we ever worked together as actors i think mm. we just uh, we kept crossing paths because we're both usually the monster and he's a tall guy and I'm a tall guy. So usually a movie only has one monster. <laughs> right. But I just called him and I was like, dude, I need you. I need you to be this monster. And he was perfect for it. And he was great. And he kicked ass and, um, and he was, was perfect. <laughs> yeah. That design of the monster was, was great as well. And I mean, that's a full body suit as well. Again, you're, you're, it was just surprising me watching this going, I know it's an indie film and, but for what you did with the budget you have and now what I know with your shoot schedule, it's very impressive what you, what you were able to put together. Um, you know, knowing what goes into indie films, you know, I'm not saying an expert, but I talked to enough folks and I've actually, you know, had the pleasure of working on a couple of indie films. I know what goes into it. So the fact you had to do that, you really need everybody on the same page, but also I imagine people kind of, have to put their egos aside when when you're shooting like that absolutely because i think the thing is is there's an end goal like when you have the script and everything plotted out and i was 
I was pre-prode to death. I had everything plotted down to the hour on set. And I think it just kept us all on the same page. We all knew what we were doing and what we're doing next for the next 10 hours. So it was, you know, and, and there were no egos. Everyone was great. Everybody was um, a team player. And so I think that really helps the process. And, and it was also, you know, while the movie does have a lot of silly things like over the top blood, a barfing space cat, stuff like that, it does have a very serious mm-hmm. tone. So that keeps, I think, a lot of people focused because, you know, it's emotional. I mean, like, there's a lot of scenes where, Alexandra is crying. Um, Hunter is deathly, like, infuriated. And it's just, there's a lot of emotion in it. And I think that keeps um, people focused too, because it's, you know, it's not like laughing and, and st- well, we did, we laughed like crazy on set. But while the performance was going, it's, <laughs> they're working, you know, it's, yeah. it's people focused, I think, in in the goal of, oh, crap, here's, here's where we are. They're, mm. Or go, these two people are going at it. We gotta make well, it good. <laughs> well, especially with you know Lock, with how we're introduced with Locke, what happens with her, um, you know the the over the course of the film, the the hardships they both face. Uh, I I I do like as well that you didn't play the buddy buddy angle because in films like this, usually you have the two different factions on two different sides and you know they really hate each other at the beginning but after they've gone through a traumatic experience together you know fight the dweller we're all kumbaya now and you know what i see your point and i see your point and you know here's a little bit of the purple you can take back we'll split it and you can take this back to your planet you, you don't have that here and and i appreciate that was there a natural drive maybe to try to bring it to that conclusion and did you have to kind of fight that to like we can't exactly have it end on a completely like happy note <laughs> there wasn't really a fight for it mm-hmm. no because it felt more real like mm-hmm. this felt um realistic in real life if you have two people in that situation especially with their history of you know bro cheats right. people killed locks people murdered forced immigration all these things are real things that happen on earth Mm -hmm. um if you met someone who did that to people you care about you're never going to be their friend right and so i think it's something like that like if you're face to face with like a nazi you're not gonna be like cool let's go have a beer no (laughs) you get the fuck out of (laughs) here so it's like realistically you can learn to put things aside to an extent to survive but you can't go down and have thanksgiving dinner together you know (laughs) and also we've we've got we did talk about the other character in here how tough was it for the puppeteering of gyrie because gyrie was a surprise for me uh reminded me of the the uh caterpillar character from house two if you've ever seen house two it it looked that adorable but at the same time adorable and frightening uh but what kind of challenges did gyrie uh bring to the table (laughs) it's funny that you mentioned that because i read in your your review (laughs) on written up one you mentioned that and i was like i never even thought of that but they do look similar it's funny um the the challenges were you know nahia she was our puppeteer 
And she was just absolutely fantastic. She went above and beyond to bring that character to life on set. Um, we had her in the most uncomfortable positions, in the most uncomfortable terrains, and she did it. And she never once complained, never once had any like meltdowns, nothing. She was just like, she was a pro above pros. It was awesome. Um, and it worked. The puppet it comes to life. So many people have a hard time like realizing what it was. I've had people ask me if it was marionette, if there's animatronics. It's just simply an old school puppet, hand in the butt, puppeteered with wrist, hand, mouth. Like there's nothing else to it. That is all it was. And she brought it to life so well that it confused a handful of audience people. <laughs> Well, they, it, mission accomplished with that. I mean, you got it definitely uh, uh, covered their eyes with it. And and I, I will say I, I appreciated you don't see puppets like that much anymore, either animatronic or you see them CGI, which is just, you know, something like that. You could really tell usually, especially with a smaller budget. So it surprised me you had a puppet like that in here and more than just a gimmick, because you could have easily gone, OK, we have this. There's a pet. We get two scenes. We're done. But yeah. Guy Ree ends up playing a major part in the film. <laughs> well, she was always a main character from the beginning. And that's also something that's tough, too, because, you, you know, you don't see it a lot because it can be goofy. And she is. I mean, she you, you there's no way you could look at Guy Ree and be like, that is a very serious character. <laughs> like, she is silly. There, she has comedic relief even her sarcasm she's she's kind of like a uh, sassy mm -hmm. you know in the movie and she also has magical barf you know and it's like there is no hiding the fact that there is you know schlock to this movie. you know sure. while there's serious undertones there's a lot of like you know someone smashes their head and a whole gallon of blood comes out so it's a fun ride so i like to ride that line of it's an adventure with eye candy. Don't take it too serious, but maybe actually it is serious. So it's this interesting line of um, just letting <laughs> it all together. And, and that, that, that's the thing is that's why I it really felt like those classic 80s sci-fi because 80s sci-fi has had the same thing to where they had campy, cheesy stuff going on. But at the same time, if you look a little bit underneath the surface or whatever, well, there's some messages going on in here there's there's some subversive things there's some other things so on the surface yeah that's campy and that's extra gore but at the same time well let's look at the context and what led up in these characters and what's going on and wait and what's the theme and suddenly you're just like oh you know you, you've got your 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 uh uh you know global climate resource you know exhaustion theme in here which is a hot topic nowadays you know it, it's in here but you're just like oh it's it's aliens that are talking about you're like Oh wait, I just read in the headline yesterday about something very similar. <laughs> well, and also, I mean, we all just lived through something similar. The pandemic, it was a worldwide virus that shut the whole world down, every country. Mm -hmm. So it's like the it's very real. <laughs> it, it is. So even though you have a bit of a cheesy uh uh you know some camp in here like you say some schlock uh you do still have those under serious undertones which you had in in those 80s films that i love and i think i think that part's missing in 
some of the more modern films that try to do homages or, or you know, do a little camp, they forget that while there was camp, there's also this theme underneath. And, and they do the camp part, the sarcastic and the meta, and, and ha-ha, look at how goofy, extravagant, extra blood. But they miss that, oh, wait, there was this theme of, you know, nuclear war. There was this theme of, what you say, anti-immigration. Um, or and, and The one oh, thing, too, it's like, it's very Star Trek. And I think that's the exception to the rule. You know, they still do that in the new Star Trek shows. Mm-hmm. They those social commentaries. And um, but other than that, you're right. Not a lot of movies or shows have it. No, they 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 focus on the camp part and kind of tongue in cheek poking fun, but it's but they don't get that extra level. Uh, we just covered uh, last night on the podcast. We just covered uh, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. And my one friend had never seen it before. It was his first time seeing it. And he's like, wow, he's like on a surface. This just looks like that kind of exploitation film, especially considering Russ Meyer's other work. But the more he thought about it, the more we talked about it, we found so many interesting underlying themes and layers and stuff to what people might shrug off as, oh, that's just a, you know, exploitation film. You're like, no, there's a lot of stuff being said. And, you know, you got that in Alien Planet, too. People might go, oh, just an indie film, someone thinking they're, you know, so-and-so or whatever. And you go, no, there's a lot of work put into your film. And there's those themes that are still present that make sci-fi why we love sci-fi, I think. Yeah. It, well, what's sad, too, about it is the reason why that's still so present in sci-fi is because nothing has changed. Yeah. Like the, the reason why all the the social commentary that's in my film still work in 2023, just like they worked in Enemy Mind in the 80s and they worked in Planet of the Apes in the 60s, is because unfortunately we haven't gotten better. <laughs> yeah, that's so. it, it, that's what's that's what's always odd is you'll you'll you know I'll pop in an old uh, 70s or 80s film and you're watching it, you're looking at the themes in this and you're going. Huh, that's still a problem today. <laughs> so it's worth talking about and it's worth making these kind of movies because it is something to think about. And I think too, like, you know, and you many people probably hear this in all the behind the scenes or all the documentaries about sci-fi, but it makes it an easier pill to swallow. Like when you watch Locke and Brochit talk about what their two species have done to each other, you can not fully connect the dots until afterwards and then go home that does happen still on earth but you can some people process it easier because it feels less um pointing a finger at this might be you (laughs) because so it might be actually some of the audience there's probably people watching the planet that the things i'm pointing out they could be part of that problem and they might not be so keen to accepting it if they see a human saying it versus a species that, that doesn't exist <laughs> yeah it's always a little easier pill to swallow if it's like just an alien versus uh <laughs> versus actual humans but i mean and we, you get that with horror too you know i think people forget that horror is a huge social commentary huge morality it's been in there for ages in horror uh, you know, and I think with genre films in general, it's easier for people to consume and think about because you have a bit of a disconnect versus showing 
a drama where you have people in a house and there's domestic right. abuse and you're like, ah, oh, God, I just feel like cr-. here we have two aliens fighting and you're like, oh, two aliens are fighting. Like then you could think about it, but it doesn't quite strike such a deep chord, but still get you to think. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just fun. It's like, you know, it, it's like I was saying, it's a schlocky movie, but at the same time, it's not. <laughs> it. And the environments and stuff that uh, where did you shoot this out? Was this out in uh, L.A. in a desert somewhere? Because it was a sparse area, which I've seen some people make commentary on it. I'm like, yeah, well, these people got exiled to a horrible planet. Of course, it's going to be sparse. You know, (laughs) well, that was the point is I want it to look like that because, um, you know, in the movie is they have water, but it's not a lot. And so they use Zod, which is the natural um, sustainable liquid on Rakachi. Um, but it doesn't taste good. So they don't want it, but it helps keep them alive. But there's not a lot there. And that's why at the end, when they add more um, substance, sure. things start to grow a little bit more. Um, but we shot it in California. We shot it in multiple places, mostly in the Santa Clarita area. We also shot it at Red Rock Canyon, um, Vasquez Rocks, uh, Thousand Oaks. Um, and then we had a soundstage in the Glendale Burbank area for the spaceship stuff. And then we actually even did, um, for the spaceship miniatures, we shot that in Michigan. Oh, nice. <laughs> actually, I, I know uh, uh, there's an indie filmmaker. He's made a number of films, Italian zombie monster film, a, a giant rubber monster movie is what he calls one of his films where he does miniature work, like massive amount and does kaiju type monster movies and that. Uh, That's so that. Yeah, so that's cool that you got to shoot that in Michigan. That just reminded me of him. He he's done that type of work as well. So you you kind of spread it out all over with that makeup, though. And you're out in the desert. What kind of challenge did that pose? Did you have like big trailers to go with? Or? So that yeah, it was definitely something to think about. Um, because we shot in November when it was in the morning, it was freezing cold, and then around noonish, it was extremely hot. You know, that's the desert. So the actors and the crew, we were going from hoodies and winter caps to peeling it all off at lunchtime. Um, But when I chose the locations, I chose it based on shelter and safety. So we actually had a location that had um, a house with bathrooms, running water, electricity, places where we could go and shelter and and not just force people to sit out in the sun and dehydrate and die. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, oh, that guy died. Uh, all right, we're going to shoot this scene. Let's put him in the scene. <laughs> but yeah, everybody had a place to go and uh, cool off and whatnot or stay warm if they or needed to. Warm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I I was thinking about that where your location was in the makeup. I'm just like, wow, you know, behind the camera, there's got to be so much stuff behind the camera where you're shooting that. Well, there are days where we had people um holding umbrellas over the actors to keep the sun out of them, yeah. uh, and then there's one particular day I remember we had to decide to do some montage walking shots for the actor, and the camera team suggested that we do it 
later in the day so it could have better sun so it wasn't just like beaming you know solid light but my thought was but if we wait and do the close-up later then they're going to be all melted the makeup's going to look more rough so we had to do a swap around and we did the wides after so that oh. the close-ups want to look nice and fresh sure. have to do the wide walking shots after because you're not going to tell that their makeup's starting to look a little uh run down <laughs> <laughs> well i but imagine it, with the, the faux rubber did quite like the extreme temperatures too much i imagine but it's a bummer because you know the camera team made a good point and i wanted to shoot it when they suggested because it would have looked more um pleasing to the eyes but sometimes you have to think about um many obstacles right well and, and they're thinking of this shot and you're thinking of the next five shots that you have yeah. But it's great. What makes it good too is is you have everybody looking out for what's best, and then you can take all of them and go, "Cool, how how do we decide which one is the best?" But like everyone's intentions are for the greater good, and it's that's what I love about it. Is everyone was out to make the best movie possible. Well, you you did make a, a great film. I thought uh, quite a bit. Very entertaining. Very different from what you see in the indie scene a lot uh you know it, it I, I even i even dug the plants i loved i love the plants that you come randomly across you know i i i likened them to the the spider in flash gordon 1980 with the with the arms po po you know poking down they kind of reminded me of that a bit <laughs> yeah it was, it was a little bit of that a little bit of sam raimi a little bit of a uh, little shop of horrors mm -hmm. you know we went for all the inspirations we could for previous plant uh, monsters. And <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it helped, you know, create the environment enough, I think, to just make it feel alien. So you don't feel like you're on the desert in Santa, you know, oh. in, in California. You're actually on a different planet, which. Um... We only had one plant. So we had to reuse that thing on every shot. The, the little one that does this on the ground. Yeah. We just had one. And so um it, before every shot we had to figure out where it went took a shovel dug a hole put it in had someone puppeteering it with a string and because that's all it was it was a string so just someone was standing behind it pulling two strings wow <laughs> so, say it, it was in every shot so it was it was the diva of the movie then huh <laughs> real star the real the real star is the plant it, it's in every shot <laughs> But uh, you know, and and I, that's what I love is is the work that you put in and the scenes. It it, it flows nicely. I like the story and, and everything about it that just came together. What would you say though? There was a scene because you said you did a lot of pre-production on it that you planned out that you figured this scene's just gonna be a bitch. This scene's gonna be just so hard. I I don't know how we're gonna do that. It's gonna be a challenge, but it ended up being a very easy scene that that went off smoothly that you're just like holy wow that that went far better than i figured it would go do you have any scenes like that um hmm, that went much easier than expected um no i think they were all i'm gonna think about this and at like 4 a.m i'm gonna think of an actual answer but <laughs> no any scene that i felt in advance was gonna be 
be a difficult scene. I just allowed more time for it so that we had time to figure it out. Um, and so it made it more appropriate to, you know, like the big fight scene at the end. Um, that one I knew was going to take a lot of time. So I made that that little bit, which is only probably what, two or three minutes. I gave that an entire day. Mm-hmm. I knew we would need it. Um, the the all the can we can we say spoilers? Do you think it's, sure, it's good to, to say that, that's that's your call, it's your movie. So <laughs> alert if anyone's gonna watch the movie. Um all the death scenes we we tried to get ahead. So when we had if we felt we were ahead of schedule on certain days mm-hmm. or if we had a moment, we would shoot the death scene of a character. So that on the last day we didn't have so much to get through. And that actually made it better because the last day um, we had a lot to do. And I was very grateful that we had already picked up most of the death scenes because that was that was one thing we got ahead of schedule on. So I'm, I'm grateful we did that. Um, what else was there? I'm trying to think if there's one. Uh, the, all the, the stuff when they were captives to the dweller, mm-hmm. that those were interesting because they while they went according to plan um time wise they they were much easier than expected because it's such heavy emotion that you never know how it's going to go in pre-production you never know if there's going to be a lot of alterations or adjustments but because you know we previously gave you know the props to alexandra and hunter but because those two were so good, those were just, they went so smoothly. Like all of those scenes, because there's a, it's heavy dial. Mm-hmm. There's a lot back and forth. I don't think there was ever once where we were like, um, what's the line? Or did we miss a chunk? Like it was just, everybody was on their A game. And those two, you know, and that was it's a lot of dialogue back and forth for a solid like that's probably what 30 minutes of the movie and they killed it so those two i, I have to give a big thank you to those two because it's those two i think that was a whole week we spent i think five days doing those scenes and that could have been difficult if the actors were not good so i'm just so grateful that those two were phenomenal because that did go very very smoothly and that's where the most of the heavy scenes and such come from, and especially the emotion between those two as they they are literally feet away from each other, hated enemies, yet you have this other enemy who just wants to eat them both. And they're yep. split between, I really hate you, but I might need you to get out of here, but I really hate you, and I wouldn't shed a tear if you got eaten, but at the same time, I kind of need to get out of here. I do. There's moments where they do have, you know, um, sadness for each other, so particularly um, when Locke thinks Brochit is dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, she takes a moment to, you know, cross his arm, say goodbye, and 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 leave him there. <laughs> <laughs> and then leave him there. He's like, ah, that's about a, that's about all you're worth. I'm gone. <laughs> it's better than most would do for someone who, you know, killed their kind. <laughs> Now you did mention you did mention crowdfunding uh, with this. How did your campaign go? If you don't mind me asking, because I've heard I've heard mixed feelings about doing crowdfunding versus trying to get you know private financing. 
So I guess, uh, how was your experience with the crowdfunding? It's difficult. I mean, it is hard. It was probably way more difficult than making the movie itself. Um, it was, it was very exhausting, very difficult to do. Um, but it's a means to an end. Right. You know, I I could not have gotten the movie made without it because I don't personally know any uh, private investors or backers, people that would be willing to put up. You know, we raised about seventy grand. I don't know anyone who would give me that. So, um, yeah, it was needed, but it was very difficult. I think um, my advice for anyone who wants to do crowdfunding is don't rush it and do your homework because <laughs> a lot of prep. I, I prepared for my, my crowdfunding for about six months. Wow. And I also shot a spec trailer as a proof of concept to prove to the audience what um, it would look like. And I think, I don't think I would have, been as successful if i didn't do that prep because it was a lot of work so, yeah it's yeah i understand the mixed feelings because i even have mixed feelings i think to myself will i do it again there's a chance because i do have another movie i want to make um and i have to get it made somehow do i want to no i wish i had an angel investor but um you know we not everybody has nepotism or connection so i think sometimes you have uh, you have to go that route and do it. So I, I think maybe your next time around, you might have it a little bit easier because now you have a demonstration of your skill. You have your demonstration of what you can produce because I think that's that's a lot of the hesitation some people have for investing in a film is, oh yeah, these guys want to do a full alien thing with masks and stuff. We, you know, they know very little about. They know what they've seen on the big screen. They're like you guys aren't going to pull it off. You're just going to take my money and, and you know, I, I'm not going to see anything, you know, but now that you have alien planet as yes, an example. Exactly. Yep. And, and there's, unfortunately there's a lot of um, filmmakers who do that. There's a ton on Indiegogo and Kickstarter that they raise a lot of money and then they, they just disappear or they they turn out garbage movies that could have made been made for like three grand and it's very clear that they pocketed money um so i mean there's a lot of bad vibes out there for investors to be hesitant yeah they, they, you know it, it's the old saying one bad apple spoils the bunch but it, it is actually true some people they'll get burned and i have friends too who like fund for certain games tabletop games uh, you know, that do Indiegogo, and they may not see it for years. These guys promise, oh, it'll be out next year. And then next year comes around, you're like, well, we got another year yet, and another year. And finally, the game might come out like three years after it was promised. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned you got a new project. Is it another sci-fi project with, with makeup effects and, and guys in rubber suits? Um, Yes and no. Um. I can't say too much about it because it's very early right. stages. No, yeah. But um, yes, there are prosthetics involved. Um, it's a another sci-fi type film, but it's not the level of Alien Planet. Um, the thing about Alien Planet, and I could be wrong. I want someone to prove me wrong, but I believe it's actually the first live-action movie with no humans in it. The only other one I can think of is the Dark Crystal, but those are puppets. Those are puppets. Uh, yeah, 
that it could be it, it's there's very few and far between if they are um, most movies yeah. like this have at least one human so i'm i want to i really want the internet people to figure out is this the only movie that's actually been made with no human characters with, with, with absolutely no human everybody is alien in it um <laughs> yeah that's that'd be interesting yeah i'm trying to think back that's that's a tough call because usually sci-fi has one human in it so the audience has someone to connect to they're like oh yeah you know uh, <laughs> battle beyond the stars you had one person from earth played by george papard no less so i mean <laughs> Uh, oh, that's a fun movie. It's like I, you tell people, oh, yeah, that's uh, Seven Samurai in space. And you're like, what? I'm like, yeah, just watch it. You'll God, you'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll get it. You'll get it. Don't worry. You know, just like when you tell someone, well, yeah, you know, uh, uh, Pamela Anderson's Barbed Wire. Yeah, it's a remake of Casablanca. And they're just like, what? I mean, very loose remake, but nonetheless, that is the impression. No, uh, Alien Planet was heavily inspired by Enemy Mine. Enemy Mine was heavily inspired by Hell in the Pacific. You know, everything is heavily inspired by something. So it's like... Yeah, yeah and, and that's what I always get to. Is it, and when I was younger, I had that more criticism of like, oh, this is just a repeat of such and such. But Hollywood's been borrowing from itself since the beginning of time. <laughs> People talk about Scarface and you're like... Yeah, did you know there's a 1930s film called Star Scarface about a gangster? <laughs> it's like Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters was a TV show before the one with Bill Murray. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's like it, a lot of those movies, you look at them, you're like, oh, that's where that came from. You know, and <laughs> you can't watch it. She took over my uh, laptop stand. <laughs> I do have to ask though, you know, evil bong, man. Uh, <laughs> I I admittedly have watched many of them more than once. Uh, you got to be the, you know, face of ginger dead man. How intimidating is that to come after Gary Busey? Because Gary Busey voiced. <laughs> so luckily, um, until the last movie. I never voiced him. I was only the mouth. Oh, you're only the mouth. Um, okay. So, so in Evil Bong, I could be wrong. Fans, tell me if I'm wrong. I think I'm in Evil Bong five, six, seven, and is there an eight? There's an eight. You're an eight too, according to the the. But Maybe. you might have been yeah. in in a recap montage. So you know, it's hard to say yes. with those films. So, I'm in those as the mouth. Basically, I put in the teeth, they paint my mouth, and then I will be very, very still and I'll perform the dialogue. And then they superimpose that onto the puppet. And then the, the actor who voices it comes in and lip syncs to what I did with my mouth. But in the most recent um, spinoff, the Ginger Weed Man, yeah. that one, I played the Ginger Dead Man and his voice because he wasn't a little puppet he was a full-sized guy um and so i did the mouth the body and the voice so i got to fight after eight movies and like three commercials i finally got a raise <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got to fully imagine the ginger dead man you know 
I just put it's like one of those things where I watched the the first one with Gary Busey when I was a kid. So I was like, it was super cool to be asked to do that. Because I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> How could I not? You know, <laughs> which is great. Which is great. I, I love the fact that that you're willing to you know to do the risk, take do something like that because I know some people out there were going like, oh, Charles Band. You want me to do evil bong? Well, no, I'm sorry. I just can't do that. But, you know, you're like, yeah, I watched Ginger Dead Man. Hell yeah. You know, Robin Sidney is awesome. Uh, you know, I and, and apparently now she's married Charles Band. It's crazy. I'm like, what? <laughs> Such a fun crew. Like, you know, Brooks Davis is awesome. Um, I've worked with him so many times. And he keeps bringing me back for the the mouth stuff because he voices the ginger weed man, but I do the mouth work for it. So I actually put on the ginger weed man prosthetic and I'll do the performance and he's behind the camera filming me. And then he goes and he does the voice. Um, and then John Lachago, I don't think he works with them anymore, but I worked with him so many times on, um, I think I did a bunch of the ginger dead man commercials and then Blake, which is puppet master. Um, and I, I feel like another one with John, but oh, the Killjoy movies with John Lachon. And he's just so great to work with. And and everyone who works at Full Moon is usually fans. Like, you, you know, you have Tom Devlin does a lot of their prosthetics and it's because he's a fan of that stuff. And, and so it's, it's a lot of fun working with that team because it's people who like schlocky movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like those who work with trauma they're fans they grew up with they're they're usually fans he, he usually has fans in his staff and i think it's important when you're filming movies like that that they're fans because they understand what they're making you know which you know i i'm sure you some people get that is like how could you make something you like you're under no impression you know or, or disillusion of what you're actually making you know what right. you're making <laughs> right I've never once thought I was going to win an Oscar for a mouth performance of the ginger dead man. <laughs> so with the way the Academy is, who knows at this point? No, I just, <laughs> what would you say is one of your, uh, your biggest influences as far as movies go? Did you have a specific movie or director that, that maybe, uh, or performer who, who would be one of your biggest influences in your work? Um, I think as a filmmaker, Heavily influenced by, you know, I love Tim Burton. I think he's a wonderful filmmaker. Um, Rob Zombie, I love his style. Um, many, many films. George Lucas, it's hard not to put him in there. He's, George Lucas is amazing at world building and creating anything. I mean, he, everything from behind the camera to on the camera, he's, he changed our entire world and social status and, and filmmaking and how we view storytelling and everything i mean he's he's a legend it's funny how much crap people give him because nothing would be the way it is without him and we you know it's it's insane he's awesome and then as for performers um i don't know if i have any that inspire me because so many are so good i feel like i'll see performances and it will inspire me um i mean it, it's hard to watch Jim Carrey and not be inspired. I feel like I love everything he ever does. Um, 
yeah i don't know there's so many i don't there's never been like the pinnacle this one person but lots of things and even even small scale you know watching watching you know brooks make movies or or john lechago all these other filmmakers it it helps inspire me to go cool you know they're doing the thing and i love it it's awesome um and it's same with like you know kevin smith you see he was an underdog he's the classic underdog who has done it and still do can't help but watch a jane silent bob movie and go that's inspiring watch him come from where he did turn ordinary people into giant stars you know it's it's awesome yeah it, it is a lot of fun and i you know i think why those guys strike you so much or strike us as an audience is because it's genuine you know so many and that's the thing and i've had that many discussions there's so much content out there so so much content and so many tools available for people to make things that mad props for anyone who wants to make something but at the same time you know you've got to take a little care it's not just i mean kevin smith didn't just shoot his buddies i mean they 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 had work involved you know it, it wasn't you know alien planet was, wasn't just oh i just called up some of my friends we just slapped it together they had the stuff you know there's planning and structure involved and you have to have some of that skill in order to make something that is going to appeal to more than your circle of friends and you know, and it's not saying you shouldn't make that to get your cut your teeth and figure things out. But if you're going to start putting stuff out into the world, you got to take a little more care. And I've seen some movies where they have it and you're just like, you know, I bad props to your spirit. But at the same time, probably should have kept it with your friend. <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I think that's where. There's a stigma with indie films that I, you know, my very little part that I try to do is is just spread the word about indie films because there is, admittedly, there is a lot of not so great indie films, but there yeah. are ones such as Alien Planet or, you know, uh, here in Wisconsin, Mr. Uh, John Pata did Dead Weight. Uh, he's been in the indie scene for quite some time. You know, there's a film, The Stylist, done by Jill Six from from uh uh you know uh saint uh in kansas city um you know there, there's indie films that strike you that are out there where their care has been put in it's just getting people to watch the indie films because you got to kind of watch the other not so great ones to get to the great one because you're not sure until you pick the film up right <laughs> and it, it's it's a blessing and a curse because the reason why we have so many bad ones now are it's so much easier to make. You know, back when, you know, we talked about Kevin Smith, when he made Clerks, you had to have film. It was harder. You had to get it developed. It took more time, more money. Whereas now you can literally just shoot it on your phone. Um, that opens the floodgates for things like what YouTube is. You know, YouTube is a bunch of garbage. There's some good stuff in there, but there's probably more garbage. And same with indie films. But not to say there's anything bad about it because I would rather have a world of people creating than just sitting there judging and criticizing. Right. And so it's good because it allows us the tools to make a movie for much cheaper and more accessible. But it does open the gates of 
now that there's more bad ones, it does give a stigma, like you said, to independent films. Yeah, you know, you say micro budget, where they're like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, but you should still watch it because, <laughs> uh, and you're right, it, it the digital age, but I think the digital in some ways has even hurt the big movies and big Hollywood films because, you know, not to sound like the get off my lawn old guy, but some of even the big wide release films and some of the problems that these hundred million dollar films are running into now, I think is you have digital. So you can literally shoot up to the week before film release if you want. (laughs) Whereas, you know, like you mentioned, George Lucas, Spielberg, the 80s, early 90s, shooting on film, you planned out, it cost money to do film, it took time to develop film, it took time to do special effect elements for the film. (laughs) So you had to take a lot more care in how long you were shooting and what you were shooting back then versus now, even for the big Hollywood films. Yes. You know, speaking of things with film, uh, there is up until I think it was season six or seven of The Walking Dead, they actually shot on film. Really? I went to a, a Q&A of, I believe it was when they first introduced Negan, uh, that big scene where he kills Glenn. Spoiler, if no one's watched it. Yeah. Um, but that had such a heavy turnaround and they shot so much that they they had to like push their editing dates developing the film and whatnot and when you go back and rewatch those seasons of the walking dead versus the most recent ones you can actually see it you can see the film grain and then um even particularly the first season you can tell it's 16 minutes which is awesome it's so cool that someone's doing that still yeah, and, and it's not saying that everybody out there is just shooting digitally. There's some shooting on digital film. There's still shooting on film medium. Um, you know, some of the older, uh, more classic uh, directors who are still working today are shooting on film. But you do notice a difference. But I, I just think that because it's that double-edged sword, like you said, even with indie films, you know, the stigma that comes with it, though a lot more creatives are getting their stuff out in this way, they don't have to maybe take as much care in the film they make. But at the same time, I think something sometimes is lost in that, you know, uh, and especially social media too, hyping a film. You know, we're mm-hmm. getting films now that suddenly they're pushing out dates. And now that's actually kind of hurting the film because everybody's like, oh, hey, Dune 2 is coming out in November. They're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You know, or I saw uh, most recently, I saw trailers like every time it was Bike Riders, I think it's called or whatnot. Uh, It was a film putting out by Disney about um, it looked like it was about kind of the Hells Angels 70s motorcycle gang. Um, I I think it was called Bike Riders or Motorcycle Riders. Anyway, that was a film that they chose not to release, but at least they gave them the option to shop it around. But suddenly the studio just said, no, we're not going to release this. And I'm like, what? Backs right off. Yeah. You know, it was like what happened with the Batgirl film. They literally shot everything. All the principal photography was in the can and they put it on the shelf. And you're just like, I feel for creatives like, you know, yourself who probably put in a lot of time, a lot of effort to do those principal shoots even. 
and now you're telling me no one's ever going to see it? And then particularly, you know, there's actors. Like, actors, I think, have the hardest time versus crew. Because a crew, you you get paid no matter what. I mean, actors do, but in a way, like, a crew, when you get hired on your next job, they'll still see it on your resume and hire you. Right. And I feel like it's different. Like, if your big break is, say, Batgirl... And it doesn't come out. It doesn't give you the the recognition to book as as it would for a crew. Like if you're a grip on Batgirl, it being canned is not going to hurt you from booking more work. But actors that that was their big break, they're going to potentially not get their big break anymore because the world didn't get to see their performance. And it may set them back from maybe it'll be five or ten more years before they get another big break. So I feel particularly for people like that where not releasing a film actually affects their career. And, you know, it's hard to be, it's hard to break into being a grip or PA or anything, but, you know, I feel like acting is another level of difficulty to break into on that level. And so I feel for them for sure. And it, and it's bad, bad juju by proxy too. It's like, yeah, you know, the film's not being shelved because of my bad performance. It's just being shelved. But just that stigma, like with indie film, that stigma of having a film on the shelf that will never get seen. They're like, well, you were in that film. That must have been a bad film. So you were involved in a bad film. So by proxy, you're probably not great. So I don't think I'm going to look at your portfolio. You know, they could be wonderful, but you get that stigma. <laughs> so... So I guess uh, I would say, what is your, do you have a particularly favorite film or one of your favorite like sci-fi films, like say a go-to film that you would, you know, you're like, man, if I have a, just a crap day, I got to watch this. Do you have a particular sci-fi film or that you would watch? Probably Planet of the Apes. Um, I love that franchise. Um Usually my go-to is either Escape or Conquest. Those mm-hmm. are my two. Mm-hmm. But, it, it, you know, it depends. I love so many movies. I think uh, it's hard. It depends on my, my mood for the day. <laughs> but um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, let's go with Planet of the Apes. <laughs> see, see, and I'm, I'm like that, too. Whenever someone asks me, hey, what's your favorite movie of all time? I'm like, how long okay. you've got? Because what genre? What period? What... <laughs> what what day have i had what what did i have to eat the other you know i you know it's one of those things where you're 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 always uh evolving i think as a viewer and you have to you can't just stick to one thing uh because you'll miss out on some great things exactly 100 percent. yeah so uh but yeah i mean it, it influenced uh quite a bit uh alien planet folks We'll wrap it up here. Alien Planet is out on streaming, I believe now, correct? On platforms? Is it out on streaming now? Correct. On um, Amazon, Apple TV, Tubi, um, some more obscure ones like Reveal, Typhoon, Roku. Um, it's on, on uh, YouTube with ads, uh, New Video Village, and you can buy it on Blu-ray on Amazon, um, which I actually recommend because it's going to be the highest quality because I, I made the master from a 4K master. Oh, nice. And it has two making of featurettes and deleted scenes, which are not on the streaming platforms. 
I, I always like watching deleted scenes. A, a lot of times it's, you know, no offense to any filmmaker, but a lot of times you look at them, you go, oh, yeah, I see why that was deleted. Well, most of the Alien Planet deleted scenes are more like um, extended. So there's a couple scenes that went from like 10 minutes to five. So put it in there so you could see what the other five minutes were. But it was very unnecessary for the movie. Um, but it's it's a cool tidbit if you just want to see it. Yeah, and always that behind the scenes stuff give you a, a even better picture of what it's like to make an indie film. So, yes. <laughs> so you got anything immediate projects working on, or is it just that new project uh, that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, you know, I worked on a, a really cool project um, last month. I unfortunately can't talk about it, but um, soon I think information will be out because it's going to be awesome and i think uh, i'll be very very proud of it and want everyone to watch it so hopefully that can come out soon and we can chat about it um, i would be happy to if you're not tired of talking to this strange midwestern guy uh who just has uh, way too much uh, movies uh <laughs> and uh <laughs> and, and where can people keep up with you so that when this announcement is made they they can keep up and follow up and everything where you know so my social media is Monster Maxon, Monster underscore Maxon. Um, or if you want to follow the movie, it's Alien Planet Film. And both are on all of the platforms, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then Alien Planet just opened a TikTok. Um, I don't have one personally, but um, Alien Planet does. If ticking and talking is your thing. <laughs> that is the, that is the big thing nowadays is the TikToking. So, so well, thank you, Alan. Yes, folks, check it out. I'll put links to everything below in the body of the uh, of this uh, podcast, and it'll go up on our channel. and And click the links and support Alan, and even check out his other work if you like schlock. Because I've reviewed many of these films. You can check out my review, and you can see uh, why I really enjoy uh, indie films because <laughs> there is talent and folks out there uh just just doing the grind doing what they love and uh yeah thank you alan very much thank you this was so much fun